Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome back to Making Headway Podcast. This is Aaron. This is Mariah. And I could not be more excited for today's guest. I've been looking forward to this all week, maybe even longer. We have Susan Gorman, who is an intuitive counselor with us today. Susan and I have known each other for years now. She's one of my favorite people in the world at this point. She's hilarious and positive and has such an interesting perspective on life. And we brought her along for the ride here because we have heard more than once, many, many times at this point, that it's really important for us as survivors to be listening to our intuition when it comes to what our body is telling us. I think almost every survivor with whom we've had a conversation has brought this up. And Erin and I have certainly felt it as well as in our own recovery journeys. That moment where you might be speaking to a medical professional and they're telling you something that they think is going on with you and your gut reaction is that's not what's happening. And the weirdest part, or not the weirdest, there are too many weird things about brain injuries to say one is the weirdest, but one of the weird parts of this this invisible illness is that it is invisible. So you are the only person, literally the only person who knows what's going on in your brain and can speak to it. So before we get into that whole spiel, Susan, I think we've got a little bit of education to catch our listeners up to where Aaron and I are. Can you give our listeners an idea of exactly what an intuitive counselor is and what you do, because it is fairly fascinating. And welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is super exciting. And I personally want to be introduced that way everywhere I go. Like when I go to Hannaford or I am writing my errand, before I get there, I want people to say, listen, Susan is one of my favorite people of all time. She's so amazing. That just made me feel so good. Um, uh, you, you can hire me to to accompany you to the grocery store anytime to announce that you are the best person on the planet. <laughs> I, I feel like we should all get a pep talk like pep talk pep talk like that every every day. So thank you for that warm, warm welcome. And yes, I am an intuitive. You know, I've been doing this work as an intuitive and an intuitive counselor for well over thirty years now. And of course, when I first started doing it. I called myself a psychic because that's what I thought I was doing. And over the years, in understanding my own gift and understanding the world that that gift exists in, I maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I stopped calling myself a psychic because a psychic conjures this, no pun intended, this image of like someone who tips tables, who speaks in tongues, who has a big bad red dye job bouffant hairdo with a crystal ball and tells you what's going to happen and it's usually not good and I just have never related to that and it's really part of my teaching and my message that everybody is intuitive right so that's the problem the issue is that in our society we marginalize intuition and we see it through a particular filter and that filter is designed to keep intuitives and everybody's intuition on the sidelines. 
So what we believe about it is that it's rare, meaning not that many people have intuition. And even if you do, you probably don't experience it very much. And if you are someone who has an intuitive gift or you're just consider you consider yourself to be strongly intuitive that you you you're kind of weird anyway right you're eccentric so then the filter also tells us that it's unreliable that when we get intuitive information unless we can confirm it right away with our five senses then it's probably not any use to us and then it, it is also intuition is also really contextualized as being dangerous Part of that is from deeply structured organizational religious communities who have beliefs that it's immoral or evil, which, you know, we, we could do a whole other podcast on how my, you know, my understanding of it, looking at it the way I do, is that if, if we can source our own spiritual experience and morality then that upends the entire system, right? If you're in an organization that tells you what to believe and how to think, you can't have people in touch with their intuition. It doesn't work. So, and it's also very patriarchal. Um, again, I'm sort of holding myself back here because we could like, we could talk for a couple hours on that, but it's intuition is also considered very dangerous um, by highly intellectual people and communities. And what you might find interesting is that religious communities and religious people have actually been more warm towards me than really, really analytical intellectual people. I've experienced far less prejudice from people who believe in God. And I do. I believe in God. I have a spiritual faith. I was not a member of a traditional religious background, but I'm a very deeply spiritual person. And I think that whatever it is that um, gives someone the ability to believe in a higher power helps people embrace their intuition. Whereas people who believe that the only things that matter are the things that they can think in their own heads or the things that they can prove empirically, they have a much harder time with intuition and they tend to see it as a suspicious sign of mental illness. So rare, unreliable, dangerous, rare, unreliable, dangerous. That is the world that our intuition lives in right now. So for someone like me, who's an intuitive counselor, most of my work is not only demonstrating to people how intuition works in giving you know, private consultations and coaching using intuition, but also coaching people on theirs and educating theirs. And that I didn't really expect when I first started out. You know, I, I thought it was going to be, you know, somewhat like it's framed as like entertainment, you know, when people go, God, how do you know that? You know, or like the TV shows and the events, public events where people are, you know, like a dancing bear in a tutu kind of thing, right? That's never been my thing. I've never been interested in doing that. I'm much more excited about creating an environment where people can confront that con the cultural context that marginalizes it and let's, like, let's pull intuition out of the margins, you know, one hunch at a time. So that's the kind of big answer to what it is that I do. So for over 30 years, I've been doing private sessions with people 
workshops, classes. I'm writing a book right now. And I write a lot for my blog and my social media accounts. And, it, and basically, basically, what I'm trying to do is create a better context for intuition. I feel like I'm sort of an emissary, whether I didn't know I was agreeing to that or not 30 years ago. So, so it's yeah. interesting that so, you mention intuition and to tie it into our brain injury community a little bit. I uh, just read a book by Joanne Susie, who is a brain injury survivor in Massachusetts, and her intuition is, has been her guiding force through her recovery. It was even the thing, you know, she was in the grocery store and she had a thought in her head that she, you know, something was wrong and she needed to listen to it and she needed to reach out and ask her help, whereas normally she would just try to go home and, you know, push on through her day. So even things like that, like noticing that something's not quite right, has been huge. And so yes. I wonder how, you know, how do, how do you see intuition as being something that we can figure out in our own heads as to what's a real voice and what's, you know, anxiety or fear or something? That's the number one question. question. That's a frequently <laughs> asked question. So... I'm so happy to hear that that is something she's listening to. So usually intuition is grasped onto as a last resort. That's mm -hmm. most people find themselves in dire circumstances before they'll ever listen to it. And even then there's plenty other stories of people who don't. Right. But the thing about intuition is that it's not really a mental capacity. It uses our mental capacities to help communicate to us. Like it uses language and it uses thought. But thinking about something and having an intuition about something are two completely different things. And that's kind of a finer distinction that I can talk more about later. The important part that I should say in response to your question is that if you are afraid or anxious, anything that you're getting is not intuition. They cannot coexist at the same time, period. And I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about this. Also, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, but the things that we really worry about, they usually don't come to pass. <laughs> and our brains prepare us by worrying. And what we do is we just waste a lot of time and energy, right? But we also live in a society that's pretty toxic with fear. So it's natural to fall into fearful thought patterns and stay there. So a lot of the work in learning to listen to your intuition is, first of all, learning how to stop that, those grooves that we wear into our thought patterns. I, I like the analogy that somebody said to me once about it's like bowling. And all you're doing is bowling gutter balls, right? Your body knows exactly the mechanics and the, has the memory to bowl those gutter balls. And what you have to do is learn how to bowl a strike, right? And then you're going you're, you're gonna to start thinking clearly about things. So I also have said over the years, many times, that it, life would be a lot easier if we didn't have bodies or egos, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> That's why we be, that's why we come here to become human and experience that. But man, is it tough. And this goes back to something that happened probably about nine or 10 years ago. I was doing a session. I call them readings because I haven't figured out a better word to use for it. I was doing a private session with 
a young woman and we were talking to her grandmother and the grandmother kind of paused and said, I have a message for you, which has happened more than occasionally. And I always consider it very nice of them to like include me as more than just the translator, right? And she said, you know, you started by saying that you talk to dead people. And she goes, you know, that's kind of rude. And I immediately had to stop and tell this young woman, I'm not laughing at you. I just got, I think I'm getting schooled by your granny. Like, hang on one second. And what this woman told me is like, on earth, this is the hard work. This is where the compression is. This is where we struggle with our bodies and our egos and our loved ones and our circumstances. And even though all of those are divinely planned for us, once you don't have any of that stuff to deal with, you're more alive than you know you were on earth. You just don't have a body. And that's actually one of the developmental tasks of death is crossing over and realizing I'm still alive. I'm just not me anymore. And that so that kind of dips into the medium part of what I do. So mediums, I don't talk to dead people. <laughs> I'm a smart ass enough to be able to still tell that story and get the laugh notice. But I do add the caveat that I promise I will not say that I'm talking to dead people anymore. That's one part of what I do. The second part is I'm an empath. And intuitive empaths are different than emotional empaths, but most people on the planet relate to this part of what I do the most. And I think it's because it's kind of the gateway to what I do. I don't think you do this work if you don't care, right? So empathy, emotional empathy is like, you know, I may not have been through exactly what you're going through right now, but I can imagine what it's like. Psychic empathy, we don't have to wonder. We're there. We feel the thoughts and feelings of another person as if it were our own and without invading anyone's privacy. So when I'm reading for someone I'm really deeply getting a sense of what it's like to be them. What are the conclusions they're making about the circumstances of their lives? You know, are they seeing that tree over there clearly, or do they think it's a bear running at them from the forest or vice versa? And I think that's the really neat thing about it too, is that once I get a really deep sense of where a person is coming from, I can also sort of pull up and look at their life as if a wheel was laid out on a map. And I can travel down the different spokes to the different people, places, and things in their lives. Empaths, what we're doing, I believe, is we're interpreting information from the interconnectivity of all of us. We're all, all of us are connected by this emotional energy, spiritual energy. Really, really, really trying hard to hold back from Star Wars metaphors right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some Star Wars nerds out there. If we want to talk about the forest, we're going to have to schedule a whole other time because, yeah, it's true. They'd say the, the definition of the forest is that it's the energy that connects all living things to one another. And I experience that on a daily basis. So hmm. I just dip in, see what's there. And then there's also... Um, thing that intuitives can do called clairvoyance their subjective clairvoyance which I identify with the most which is like having a movie theater in my head and on that screen are projected visual images 
words, slides, moving pictures, those kinds of things. But objective clairvoyance is the ability to kind of see it as if it were right in front of you. And I've, I've definitely had those experiences to the point where, oh, geez, this was when my kids were really little. So it was one of those, like, brutally cold days, right, like 30 below. And at the time, we lived four houses from the bus stop. So my kids walked to the bus stop all the time. But this morning, because my older son was in sixth grade, I thought, you know what? In a few years, he's likely to be like, let's go uh, check out those ice fishing huts on the Exeter River and not wear protective clothing, right? Like I, I wanted him to understand this isn't just cold. This is, would you like to keep your toes and your nose and your, and your fingers cold, right? We're not messing around. I'm driving you to the bus stop. So I heated up the car and we got ready and we drove and there were several other parents that had the same idea because I think we were four or five cars back in this warm car and the bus kind of came in front of us across the street and he got out of the car with all the other kids getting out of the cars and they went and I watched him get on the bus and there was a kid who got on the bus without a backpack and without a coat. He just mm. had a hoodie and I was like, wait a minute, what's that all about? So I went home and I waited until after school, got a reality check that, yes, unfortunately, one of the kids in the neighborhood, he was kind of a kid that was at risk in other ways. I had heard some stories, had been at the bus stop waiting and had gone to school that way. Then I called the, the school, right, to say, like, what do we need to do for this kid? But because I have seen so many things that later on people told me, what? That wasn't, I didn't, I knew that I needed to make sure that I didn't call the school first <laughs> to say that I had seen this child get on the bus because it could have been objective clairvoyance, meaning I hmm. see things that other people do not. It's very distracting to be doing that in a private session so I think I subconsciously trained myself out of it. Mm -hmm. So that's the three main pieces of what I actually do. And being seen in this way by someone is a very powerful experience for people. And what I try to do is keep it out of, I don't give advice per se, and I don't tell people what is necessarily going to happen unless I actually feel that very strongly. Um, there was one woman I can think of in specifically in the last couple of years who I, she had just gotten a new job and she'd come to see me because she had some real concerns about her new boss. And I told her like, you need to start working, looking for another job immediately. This is not going to go well. So like things like that, but the real reading, if you will, happens later when people start filtering through what I've told them and decide what they want to pay attention to and what they take in, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I want people to be comfortable with their own intuition too. So that's kind of how that works. And then of course you can tell I have a really hard time opening up to people and talking <laughs> about myself at length. So 
in order to create more venues where I can gab. I I love to talk to people about their own intuition. So so here's the thing. I don't I'm 54 and I've had some health stuff like we all have, right? Bodies and egos. Um, I lost my husband, the children's father, to stomach cancer in 2015, and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer a year later. I've also had my hip replaced. <laughs> it's just getting, the list is getting, I don't know. You sort of have to laugh. And what I've realized is that, you know, so I've dealt with a lot of doctors over the years. And the mm -hmm. thing that was so horrible for me about my husband's illness was that I knew exactly what was going on with him at every single moment, except mm -hmm. until he was diagnosed. Once he was actually diagnosed, I was actually on a business trip in New York at the time, and it was really good thing that I was because I would like see a client and I would go back to my Airbnb and just sob my eyes out. And also in New York, you can cry on the street and they, people don't even like, they don't even notice. They're like, oh, that woman over there, she's just had a bad day that nobody stops to bother you or ask right. if you need help or anything. So, you know, we had talked about it. Should I come home? And we didn't want to do that because we didn't want to worry the kids. And so I got, I had a chance to process a lot of what I was feeling, but I was getting download after download. And, you know, there really wasn't a place for me. I didn't feel to talk about what I was getting about my husband. What is interesting about my story is that when I was 23, um, I decided it would be interesting to take a hospice volunteer training class. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even understand, like, why does this sound interesting to me? I, I don't think at that at that point, I think maybe both of my grandmothers had died, but I hadn't had any real experience with that. And I just, I thought, you know, at, you know, at the time I was saying, I talk to dead people all the time. I'm not, I'm a Scorpio. I'm not that afraid of death, you know, all of that stuff. And by the way, it's a lot easier not to be afraid of death when you're 23 than when you lived your life. <laughs> so I took that class and then I had, I was very upfront about being an intuitive and the volunteer coordinator did not like me because of it. She was really turned off. She thought like, remember, rare, unreliable, dangerous. She thought I was mentally ill, as have a lot of people over the years. And I had a tough family that I was volunteering for the first right out of the gate. And this woman did not support me. And so what happened was this woman was dying. Her children had hired a caretaker. They, the children did not spend time with their mother. I don't know what that was all about, but the volunteer is supposed to take the pressure off whoever is the primary caregiver. So I was there for a couple hours to just sit with this woman. Um, and the woman who was hired as the caretaker got really mad because I wasn't doing her job while she was gone. Right. I would just sit and be there and read and do all that stuff. It was never really explained to her that that wasn't my job, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happened is she started complaining to the volunteer coordinator, and the volunteer coordinator assumed that I was mentally ill and not great. And I think I had, like, one other assignment after that, and then I just stopped volunteering. And met my husband when I was 29, 
And then how many years later, when he got sick, I was like, wait a minute, I know this stuff. And I was heartened by some advancements in palliative care. And I was also very disheartened that our culture hasn't really gotten dying down very well yet. So mm. we haven't gotten illness down very well either, right? True. Um, right. So I've been around a lot of doctors, is my point, going through that. And I, most of them I experienced as an intuitive who had a, a vested interest in getting my husband through this, right? And what I realized is there are lots and lots of great physicians out there and medical practitioners who know their stuff. And if I do not feel comfortable with them, then it doesn't matter what they know or what their training is. Because the real healing that happens between a patient and a provider is the relationship. Do I feel comfortable telling them everything? right? Do I feel like they're on my side? Do they get my sense of humor? Do they, you know, the therapists that I've seen, my first question is, I need you to not pathologize the fact that I'm an intuitive. If we're going to get any work done here, I need to not be worried about whether you're diagnosing me in the back of your head, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very upfront with all of my doctors especially if I'm going to consult with someone, I'm going to go in and tell them what my intuition is telling me. And if they immediately disregard it, then I know we're not. Mm -mm. And I actually, I've, I've switched doctors many times. And my husband had a, um, one of his oncologists I disliked intensely. And let, let me just tell you, I like most people. I am, I, I like people and I, I like most people. I have favorite people. Mara, you're one of my favorites too. Yes. And, yes, <laughs> and I'm sure, Erin, you're going to quickly become one of my favorite people. But if I, if I, I do not like you, I feel sorry for you because I, I take no prisoners. And my poor husband was trying so hard because he was terrified. And, this guy was like obnoxious, patriarchal, um, super smart, right? As a lot of really good oncologists are. And, uh, you know, like he, I was treated like the little wifey a lot when I went to, you know, when I would go to appointments and stuff. And I, I just learned a lot about how to be a real person and have a lot of good information for people at the same time, right? I think to your point about knowing when to trust your instincts about a provider, our culture has this very interesting dynamic where we're sort of expected not to challenge or question a doctor. And I agree, I've I've had wonderful doctors. I was very fortunate. But, you know, occasionally you come across someone who you know, they mean well, but it something just doesn't click right or you don't feel heard. I think it's important for our listeners to hear how your own instinct can guide your way potentially better than a doctor. I'm not saying don't listen to your doctors. 
listen to your doctors, but make sure your doctors listening, listen to you too. And the trouble with the brain injury is you're in a fog a lot of the time when you are, you know, at the point where you're working with medical professionals. So it's, it's sort of a double whammy. Well, and also I've gotten a lot of information that doesn't necessarily go in like the timeline that a physician might lay out for people. Right. And, and let's be clear. It's not just doctors. I see people when the legal system has failed them, when um, law enforcement has failed them, when family court has failed them. And if you can also imagine what it's like to be a person of color in any of those systems, right? Where very well-intentioned, well-meaning doctors are, are doing what they think is good care and how many stories even of COVID of people of color who have been turned away time after time being told that they were exaggerating their symptoms and they died, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, there's a really good book that I recommend to people if they want to understand how deeply we are wired to trust ourselves. And it's called Protecting the Gift. It's by Amanda Gavin de Becker, who's a security consultant and a sociologist. And in protecting the gift, what he's talking about is he's laying out statistics about the things that parents are really afraid for their children about, right? They're going to get abducted. They're going to this, this, this. But what he's also priming people, especially women, to understand is that right around the time a young girl is like 11, 12, 13, maybe she's getting her first period, she's becoming more developed, what our society does to her is basically knock her out of herself. And she becomes socialized heavily towards how pleasing she is to other people. Mm -hmm. And as a result, women do not trust themselves, right? And I I don't think a lot of guys trust themselves either. And, you know, again, we could do a, a whole session on the fact that intuition is a neutral force. It is not a woman's gift more than a man's gift or any of that stuff. But I think that especially in systems, medical systems, religious systems, legal systems, in institutions, women definitely get the bad end of the the deal there because we have been socialized to not trust ourselves, right? So usually the first time that a woman is put in a position to where she really understands what her intuition is and how it's talking to her is when she has a baby. And there are like, I don't want to generalize because there's a million different ways that women who do not bear children can also get access to that. All you have to do is become a caregiver basically. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily to human. You could have pets and that could get activated too. But I remember when I was having my son, my older son, I took all of the books and chuck, I physically chucked them across the room because I was like, none of this applies to me. Or, you know, I remember one time there was a visit. I'd gained nine pounds since my last prenatal visit. I was the most gorgeous, healthy, beautiful pregnant woman. And I remember the crap that they gave me for the fact that I was gaining weight too fast and you know our bodies are these amazing things they're very fragile 
and they're very they go they they've got built-in obsolescence, right? However, there is a natural intelligence to the body that speaks has a direct line, like a red phone, <laughs> right to your intuition. And sometimes you're going to get information that you can't get any other way. You know, you are right. That's right. And <laughs> so one of my one of my mentors says the body has its own language it just doesn't necessarily speak english hmm. right so we have to learn how to listen yeah uh, really quick story so i've learned a lot from susan and i i've also been over the course of my life i've made some major decisions that were almost entirely based on intuition you know like geographical choices all kinds of stuff that other people might seem might think were strange but I just felt a force move me. So I think we all remember the moments leading up to our brain injury because it's just cemented, you know, in our memories. But the morning of my accident, which our previous guest, Holly Kostrowski would say was not an accident. Um, <laughs> I very clearly remember walking down the street before I got to the pedestrian crosswalk where I was hit and thinking to myself, it was the day after a holiday and thinking to myself, it is eerily quiet on this street right now. It was the day after Veterans Day, which here in New Hampshire gets observed. People should have been hustling and bustling, trying to, it was basically like a Monday, even though it was a Tuesday. People should have been speeding around, trying to get places, trying to get to work on time. But there was no one on the street, which is a very busy street while I was walking in hindsight, I don't know why I didn't stop to think more about how weird that was, but I was preoccupied with getting to my office, the things on my to-do list, what was coming up for the week. And so I think there's also this added layer of noise in our lives right now that mm -hmm. prevent us from stopping to notice the message we're getting or the fact that that, you know, red intuition phone is ringing because I don't know if I necessarily would have stopped in my tracks, but just a few seconds would have kept me from getting hit by that car. And I've said this before, I don't wish to take that experience back. I, my life has been wonderful because of it, but it's just one of those things that I, I look back on and I certainly wonder about. Yeah. And I would be very careful, Mariah, that you, you definitely should spend as much time as you want doing whatever you need to unpack and pick at the pieces and look at it. But that is one thing I do not encourage people to do is to use mm -hmm. their intuition in the way of like, well, why didn't I know? Or mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there are things, so my new initiative for 2021, I'm it's, uh, I didn't want to actually paint a chalkboard wall. I realized because even though they look really cute on Pinterest, my experience in putting a big chalkboard wall up in my kitchen was going to be a disaster and it was going to make me cry. So I was mentioning that I wanted to have this chalkboard wall where I could write all the things, right, that come to me years ahead of resolution, even for me, for the country, for everything, because I'm sick of saying, well, yeah, I knew that, or yeah, I told you that, or having people contacting me going remember when we were in that elevator and you were just and I was like no anyway <laughs> my friend said you're gonna you need to call it the crystal ball wall 
And I was like, yes, I do. And then I found out you can order online these decals that you put on your fridge and they're chalkboard. And so you write on them. And one of the things that I think is a really good exercise is to stick with the things that you do hear and to stick with the things that are loud, whether they make sense or not. You know, my favorite story about your injury is the woman who found you. Mm -hmm. That's, to me, how intuition works, right? If you want to look at divine timing, that's it, right? Agreed. And also, mm -hmm. I don't ever cross that street without looking an extra time. And, you know, that's just being a human being. But I often have thought in the years since you got hit by the car, how many lives did you actually save? Because people don't cross that street the same way anymore. And you don't even know how many people think right before they step out. Oh, remember that woman got hit here. This she lost her boot. This is a weird <laughs> intersection, right? Like, and I, I, I think that there's a ripple effect to everything that we experience, I guess. Yeah. And when yeah. you don't get an intuition, I remember like years ago, this has to be like right at the inception of my work. A woman told me that when her kids would go out, she always would tell them, wait, like when they were teenagers, okay, now you can go. And they kind of knew mom, right? And her, she lost her son, who was a fireman. He was the one riding on the back of the truck and he got in an accident. The truck got in an accident. He was, it was hit from behind and he was killed. And she was anguished. And she came to me and said, like, why did I not know? Well, I always got warnings for them. I always knew, right, what was going to happen. And it's because life is still going to be life going forward. And the experiences that we are not able to control oftentimes end up being our biggest teachers and bring the biggest gifts with them. And that is something that is very difficult to understand unless you've been through it. I think that's hmm. such a great point. And that is part of why I say, you know, I wouldn't take it back. And Aaron and I have had that conversation a couple of times. You know, I think we have yet to see or learn all of the lessons that those incidents have to give. Right. That's a really nice segue into the aftermath of a brain injury. I mean, it is one thing to be sitting in a hospital trying to trust your intuition. It's quite another to go through what for me at least was almost like a grieving period after the accident and also a self-doubt period. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't even know what name you want to put on it, but I, I just went through this period where I was like, why didn't I know this was going to happen? Why did this happen? I've always felt like everything happens for a reason. Suddenly I'm questioning everything I believed before. And I think, yeah. you know, if you have a, brain that's functioning, it's totally normal to be asking every question, you know, and, and dissecting every piece of it to try and better understand it. Cause I think that's a part of who we are as humans is trying to understand everything and asking why. So from, and Susan, you were one of the people who I saw one of the first people who I saw really, as I was starting to feel more comfortable interacting with other people after the accident, I think I had an appointment with you where I sort of, you were the first person I talked to about the fact that I was like, I don't even know <laughs> if I believe what I believed before. And, um, so it just I mean, is a, yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but one of no. the things that struck me about both of your stories was that 
there was a moment where I thought, how did we know that this isn't part of how your brain is trying to heal itself too? Like actually physically, cognitively, yes. Spiritually, yes, right? Emotionally, you guys are trying to put everything kind of quote back together again. But what if there are actual neurological impulses that need to be sustained in your actual physical healing from a brain injury is what I, what, what I thought. And how could it not have that kind of effect on a life where, wait a minute, what, what the hell just happened here? The belief system that you emerge from that is actually going to probably be more sustaining than the one you had going into it. It still doesn't like, it still doesn't make it completely okay. Right? Like I, I tell people, you go ahead and be human. Like the price of admission, if someone were to lay all this out for you, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get rushed to the hospital and like, think about the first few days of your injuries, right? Mm -hmm. But listen, there's so much good that's going to come out of it. You would have been like, fuck off, please. Like, right? <laughs> you, There's no requirement that what even while you're going through this or I am I'm sure you're going to continue to have moments where you're like you know I really wish that I didn't have to do that I really really wish that I didn't have to have this you know I, I say sometimes that having a body is the gift that keeps on giving because we're always like what was that what's that feeling what did I have that thought for right I'm sure there are times when feeling that vulnerable in the world is doesn't feel like a gift, right? But I really am here to tell you that every brush we have with our mortality turns us into better people and gives us a much better life. You know, I, I had just turned 50 when I was diagnosed or about to. And I was like, well, I'm canceling my party now. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? And then what I realized was, and, and think about being an intuitive and, and having a tumor diagnosed on a mammogram, right? And the thing is, I've never actually been anti-medicine or anti-science or anti-facts. And I credit that mammogram with saving my life. Yeah. But it was actually the best 50th birthday present I could have gotten. Because I got really clear that if I'm lucky enough to have another 25 or 30 years, I'm going to make them good ones. And there's so much in my life that I don't tolerate anymore you know I don't tolerate drama you know I don't tolerate victim stuff I also you know I've seen the pandemic basically affect us all in the same way that you know something like this yeah, yeah. it's funny that you mentioned your birthday so it was just my birthday, birthday. and um Everybody, all my friends were like, I'm so sorry, you know, COVID birthdays are the worst, but I spent my day, my, <laughs> my husband disappeared my children for me so I could have a day to myself to do whatever I wanted. I slept in, I had a really healthy breakfast, I read a book without a single person interrupting me, I went for a run with my dog, I came home, I took a bath, I shaved go. my legs without feeling like I needed to rush it. Amazing. I, and then I drew, I drew 
a bowl full of pears for two hours. And then my family came home and we had a lovely dinner. But I was chuckling to myself about this birthday because I was like, you know, anybody else who looked at this birthday would be like, that's not what I would choose. That's pretty boring. But I never liked birthday parties before. I na- I'm, I'm naturally an introvert, despite the fact that it surprises people. This is the birthday that I would have loved to have for myself every year. But the I mean, COVID helps because I didn't have that many options, but also this is, you know, I had just exactly what I wanted without shame (laughs) uh, this year. I think because I, my accident has helped me to feel much more comfortable with who I am and prioritize myself in ways that I didn't before and not to be ashamed about whatever ways I choose. So, yeah. And I know with, go ahead, Erin. I was going to say, I know with my brain injury, it, was almost immediately I had a spiritual encounter right in the emergency department looking at my husband being faced with the choice of I can either live or I can die. And I, you know, I really feel like that was a connection to God that I had not had um, in a long time in my life. And it was just the spiritual presence. And it really opened me up to feeling feeling the feelings and to having that solid voice that you say, you know, it's not, it's not a thought. It's, it's something else inside of you. And I can't really explain it, but I had that so strong right after my injury. But as my life has built back and gone back to the normal patterns, I've, I feel like I've lost it. Like I'm in this, this place of self doubt and, you know, there's the anxiety and fear of COVID. You know, I work in a hospital. It's it's there every day. You're faced with that stress. How, you know, it's so hard to keep that knowing in yourself. And you are be interested to know what you think about that. Who's, who said something like that, that when life gets clear, it gets super clear. And there's this incredible peace that comes with mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, we go to the grocery store and come home without the thing that we went to the grocery store for, or our teenager is acting surly, or, you know, you're exhausted from work, or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, what I tell people is, if that's starting to happen a lot, then what that means is you have to build in some slow time into your life drawing that's a good example meditate and you know what I know you guys have small children it's I'm almost suggesting something that it's cruel to suggest that to someone with a a young family because I remember there was not enough time for anything there was not enough energy for anything but even like five or ten minutes a day that's enough you know just to say hey big spiritual realm out there you know, I'm surrendering myself to you, you know, guide my day. Having rituals that take maybe five to 10 minutes in the morning and five to 10 minutes at night, if you do them every day, like brushing your teeth, it really actually does build a strong, healthy spiritual sense and practice. And it it's great for intuitive activities too. I always tell people like, what happens if you were to stop brushing your teeth, Right. So you're making a five-minute investment in dental hygiene like twice a day, maybe not even five minutes, but you're doing it every single day whether you feel like it or not, right? Mm -hmm. That's 
how we build a sense of our connection to all things inside of us. Now, this is the one thing that I think is really important to mention. It's another one of my soapboxes, but I discovered my gift during like the new age of the 80s. And it seemed like every town had a spiritual bookstore. We were big into crystals. I know some of this stuff is starting to kind of come back a little bit, but it was really marketing about getting stuff, you know, find your soulmate, get your Mercedes. Like it, to me, it has always fallen flat because the most amazing spiritual and intuitive stories that we've been a part of are always about the highest good for the greatest number of people. When we follow our intuition, we will never be the only beneficiary of whatever the result is. There's always that ripple effect. And sometimes it's it's very direct. You know, we don't always, we're not always around to hear the impact of someone actually even being able to help us as well, or what people have learned from different connections we've had with one another. But your intuition is always guiding you towards something really like the best outcome in any situation, but not just for you. And that's what's exciting and fun about intuition. It's not about creating stuff or turning our relationships into commodities or, you know, having house beautiful necessarily, right? Like it's, it's really about having a, a, a life that's worth living. So even when we go through hard things that we would prefer not to go through, our intuition will be optimizing that experience if we're willing to listen to it. I think there's also something very practical. When you guys said that a lot of the people that you've spoken to who are healing from brain injuries repeatedly said, we, I listen to my intuition or, you know, I let my gut guide me or things like that. There is something to like, Hey, I don't really have that much to lose anymore. Right? Like what I'm, what I mean is that our culture may not take us towards our intuition, but our lives do. Hmm. So, and that's the bridge that I'm trying to gap here for people. Yeah. So to your, to your point, Susan, about, not having much time, and this is just sort of a suggestion for anyone who feels like that's them. There is a book called, I'm going to forget the name, uh, I think it's called Running with a Mind for Meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, let me check it quickly here. Yeah, Running with the Mind of Meditation. It's written by a Buddhist monk who is a runner, and it's all about using that time while you're running. So if you happen to be somebody who loves to exercise, it's kind of perfect because for me, I like have to find time for exercise and I have to find time for mental health and it combines the right. two and right. running is perfect because you have to be in tune with your breath. So it's about using your breath to meditate while running. And it, I don't always use it. Sometimes I have to listen to aggressive rap music, but. <laughs> well, and also running is a form of meditation. And that's one thing that I've also taught alongside intuitive development for these last years is. Um, I teach meditation too. It's really important. You have to have both. You don't. Know, you can't identify your intuition as easily if you don't, if you don't know how to get quiet. Yes, and I so. think quiet. You know, 
I've started to find ways in my own life, you know, even though I have two children running around my house Mm -hmm. to find the quiet. And at this point, it means I get up, you know, 45 minutes before my children when I can and have the time in my dark, quiet kitchen to drink my coffee and prepare myself. But do you have any other advice for people listening who are looking for ways to tap into their intuition as they're listening to this? So part of me wants to mention that I'm going to have an online course debuting this month, which is really great because you can take it and go. You don't actually have to have face-to-face time with me. It's called Intuition 101. And it's it's basically like the, the five things that you need to know before you begin that will set you in the best position to start. I, there's two pieces. There's, you have to learn how to identify, and that's what this course is pretty much geared towards, learning to catch it and see, oh, this is my intuition. And then trusting it is stuff that comes in other classes and, and deeper practices. However, the first thing that I would just tell people is everybody's intuitive. So you're not, this isn't something that you're never going to be able to do. This isn't something that some people will always be better at than you. I would play around with the idea of seeing it as your most natural resource, that it's there. You just have to learn to find it and, and develop a relationship with it. And then the second piece, of course, would be what we were talking about earlier, which is that you will you are well served by inventorying how much anxiety and worry you have in your brain, in your consciousness, in any given 24-hour period. The more you tolerate that, the more you will find that your intuition eludes you. So, and let me just say... It's very timely because we're having a moment here in our country, right, and in the world. But I haven't seen that as necessarily a bad thing because I think what it does is it makes the colors of what we participate in brighter. We're able to identify the way that we've tolerated ways of being with each other that are not sustainable. It's a very clarifying time. So... We can use that. So, Susan, if people wanted to find your course, where could they go to find that? So, it will be on my website, which is www.susangorman.net. And that's where you can also find my podcast. I also have a social media presence, Susan Gorman Intuitive, on Instagram and on Facebook. And the website is a really great hub to start because it also has our podcast Everyday Intuition there and you get to actually follow me and my good friend Laura as she like guinea pigs herself up to be an intuitive in training. Which I highly recommend. I shouted it out on our uh, 2020 recap, but I am a regular listener. It's a great podcast, I have to say. (laughs) It's been the most fun. So I also would highly recommend to listeners if you are a reader, go read Susan's blog. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. She's an excellent writer and there's so much good stuff in there. So. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for sharing, Susan. We've really appreciated this. It's a little bit of a different direction that we've taken. Um, But I think it's so, like Mariah had said at the beginning, it so touches on a point that everybody has had is that you have to be comfortable knowing yourself and listening to yourself and trusting yourself. And any way we can get stronger in that, I know I'm seeking (laughs) and I'm sure others are too. So I can't wait to check out your website. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, you you know, the thing that I always tell people is that you'll hear from me all the time that I'm a huge proponent in you developing your intuition, but people get stuck all the time. And that's why I'm also here as a counselor. So, you know, I want to be helpful in any way that I can, but it's just been awesome to be here and talk with you guys. And I hope we get to do it again soon. We'd love that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on Making Headway Podcast. This is Erin with Mariah signing out. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean. 